Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here with us. Some of you I saw out last night, and uh, I'm glad to see that you've recovered from our <clears throat> excursion. We're halfway through our uh, Follow the Star weekend, so a pretty exciting time for us here at uh, FBC. Uh, I want to say uh, welcome to all those who are um, watching us online, too, and uh, I have to use my um, greeting for those downstairs at F3, the dungeon dwellers that are down there. I was down there last week and enjoying fellowship, or at least I think I was enjoying fellowship with them, only to realize that there was no one sitting beside me the whole time. So I'm not sure. I think they were a little upset that the last time I didn't uh, call them out, you know, as the dungeon dwellers that they are, but uh, I'll get in trouble for that one from Oh, don't you love loving people? That's great, isn't it? <clears throat> well, we are um, partway through the book of Acts in chapter 4. If you want to turn there, we're going to pick up our study from there. And I want to remind you of a couple things, get your mind going. So in Acts chapter 1, let me just turn here to this so you can see this. I think I just did that. Ben, can you get that back for me? There we are. Oh, I'll get it. There we are. Who's? Go ahead, Ben. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we'll let him worry about that. The Lord said this, <clears throat> he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we've been in these four chapters, we've been seeing that happen, right? That first portion here where he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that happened in chapter 2 as we've gone through that study. The Spirit of God came upon those believers, and there was miraculous power, miraculous signs that were uh, shown in demonstrating that fact happening there. But then he also says in this, he says, you shall be witnesses to me, and then he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we're actually, we've already gotten partway into this first portion of witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's where this is happening so far. It's going to um, expand and spread out fairly soon here, but that's the portion that we're in. And <clears throat> I just want to highlight a couple things for you, uh, two ways that he says you shall be witnesses, and just as the Spirit of God did come because he said he shall come, also you shall be witnesses, that's what they were doing too. And, and they were doing that in two particular ways. One was verbally. They were speaking about what they had seen. They were a witness. Hey, this is what I saw. I saw him killed. I saw him put on the cross, crucified. I saw him rise again. I witnessed some of these things. <clears throat> and um, if you remember, we've already looked at, there's been three times at least that Peter has stood up in the midst of a whole crowd and said, let me tell you something about this. And he begins to just describe. <clears throat> there are some details that Mark has been highlighting for us. One of those, if you remember, he's repeated. He said, whom you killed, whom you crucified, right? Why is that important? <clears throat> I think it's because people need to understand it's because of my sin. That, that's why that happened, right? There has to be a witness to that fact. But there also has to be a witness to the resurrection. He was raised from the dead. Why is that important for us as well? Because that tells us that the sacrifice that he gave satisfied the heart of God. It, it, it met all the requirements. And as proof of that, he raised them from the dead. Right? So Peter is speaking these things out and he's telling that. <clears throat> and just as this is all in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God coming begins the church age, 
so also that is going to continue on then down through the years all the way to you and I. They were at the beginning of the church. We're probably nearer to the end. But the God of them is the God of us today. And he's also wanting that same witness to continue on down through those ages all the way to us. So there's opportunities just like last night where there were several individuals standing before that cross and sharing the gospel with people. And then they were moving into the cookie tent and, and someone was walking up beside him and saying, hey, what did what, you hear? What would you think about that? Like, do you got any questions about that? Can I talk to you about that? That's happening right now. Right? That message is still going on. Well, the second way that they were witnesses was in their actions, in the way that they lived that out. And, and Luke, being inspired by the Spirit of God, wants to make sure that we're catching this, wants to make sure that we understand that. So he recorded those speeches that, that uh, Peter gave, right? We can read those. But he also tells us in there that there were certain things that were happening with them, and one of those is that they had all things in common. They were, they were constantly being together, and there were things that, that they were in unity over. <clears throat> it says... In chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So clear back into chapter 2, as the early church is starting, this is true about them. They're talking and they're living is what they're doing. So we're going to jump then into chapter 4, verse 32. That's where we're going to pick up our text. And we're going to see Peter continue, or sorry, um, uh, Luke rather, continuing on that same theme for us. He's wanting to drive that home. Now we want to catch this people because uh, like I said, we're, we're part of this whole process, this whole church age. And God is wanting to do some of the very same things through us today that he was doing then. We're not just talking about a history lesson. We're looking at this because we're believing that the God of their day is the God of our day. And what he can do through them, remember, just as we finished uh, 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 last week, um, Mark was saying that they were praying and asking God for boldness. We have people out in that tent last night, and we will tonight, who will be asking the Lord for the same thing. Why? Because we have a need, right? Because there's times when, as humans, we don't want to be a witness. But the Lord has already said, you shall be witnesses. You witness of something. You speak of something. What is it that you speak of? And that's what we want to look into here. So the first um, section that we're going to look at here is the end of chapter 4. And I call the unity of fellowship expressed by sharing in common with one another. So are you there in, in verse 32? Let's look at this then. Read this together. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. You see in that already? Right away he's telling us this, right? One-heartedness together, beating with the same heart, one soul. You might say soulmates. I know we often use that just for like our spouse, right? That's what we say about that, and that's wonderful. I'm not trying to steal that from you. But as a, as a fellowship of believers, could it be possible that it's said about us that we're soulmates? We have one heart that's beating in the same way we have one soul we're pursuing the same things together that's what was true about them neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own but they had all things in common and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all now i want to stop there just for a minute to highlight something for you 
when grace is involved in the life of a believer, one of the things that you're going to see is unity. That's one of the ramifications of living out of this foundation of grace is what it is. This unity, this togetherness. You know what else you're going to see? The giving. A giving heart. Not because we're compelled to give, not because we want to get accolades for that, but because something is happening in the heart and God's beginning to work that through our lives. And it's being expressed is what's happening. You see that in them and we desire to see that in us as well, right? Thank you. Look at that. He answered their prayers. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection. They spoke. They were the mouthpiece. But it says, and great grace was upon them all. All of them. They were all functioning in this way. And that's why we see this, this truth of unity coming out. That's why, that's why Luke is recording that for us. Because the Spirit of God is saying, I want them to understand that way, way down the road in 2022. Aren't we in 22? Almost 23. <clears throat> now there was... Uh, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. No, nobody had a need that wasn't being met. For all who were in possession of lands <clears throat> or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Now, now don't just read through that clinically and miss this. <clears throat> Think about this for a minute. Most of you probably own a home, or at least the bank owns it, and you're paying them to try to get to own it, right? Like, we're hoping that'll happen. You own something that has value to it. When I came from Michigan, I would say the people that I was uh, living around, eh, was probably $150,000, $200,000 homes. Here, what are we talking, 400, 500, 600, keep going, right? Like, the prices are crazy. You sold your home. Half a million dollars. You're going to take the proceeds of that, bring it here to the church, and give it to our elders, lay it out before them and say, here guys, this is yours. You do with it whatever you want to do. Whatever you think the Lord wants you to do, there you go. That, put that one on, okay? This is what these people were doing. This is nuts, isn't it? From a human perspective, wouldn't you call that nuts? Right? But, but from a God perspective, not so much. That's why we can actually sit here in our seats and read through that and, and not like, what? Are you kidding me? But let's not miss the point that there was a choice going on in the heart. And it wasn't easy, people. It wasn't like, hey, I got all these lands, so what's that to me? I'm going to sell one of my fields. Big deal, right? No, these people are just like you and I. Sometimes they're scratching. In fact, we will find not too many chapters down the road that this group of believers, that other believers are going to send finances back to Jerusalem to meet some of their needs because they're going to be going through some struggles. Okay? They're not just wealthy <laughs> out of the abundance of all that. They're giving because God's at work in their heart. <clears throat> and he gives us an example of this. He points to a guy. He's verse 36 and... I'll call him Jose. That's the name that his mama gave him. If he was Hispanic anyways, that would be his name. This actually, some of your translations will be Joseph, I think. Jose, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles. So this is a dude who mama gave him one name, but the apostles said, no, 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 no. We appreciate what mama did, 
But let me tell you something. You're, you're the son of encouragement. We're going to call you Barnabas. You see, they gave him that name because he actually functioned in that way. They, they saw him as such, the son of encouragement. We're going to come back to this guy at the end of our time here today. But he's given to us, he's introduced by Luke, he's going to play a, a pretty significant part in the early days of the church. And now he's introduced to us. This is a guy who it says here, um, he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. There's a little island in the Mediterranean Sea, that, that's, where he, that's where he lived, that's where he grew up. He's now in Jerusalem here. He could have come for the Passover. We don't know exactly why he was there, but he's there and he's gathered together with these believers and something happens and Luke is saying, let me tell you, these guys had everything in common. Let me show you an example of that. There's this dude named Jose and he is now called Barnabas. I say that that way because we have a Jose Rodriguez. Makes me think of him. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There it is, right? Here's a living, breathing example. This is how God is at work in the hearts and lives of his children. Oh, but now we come to chapter 5. Chapter 5, we have other people introduced to us. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. Sorry for all those of you who have named your son Ananias, but that, to me, shouldn't be on the list. Ananias actually means God is gracious. That's what the name that his mama gave to him. Sapphira, now that's a pretty name. She actually, that name means beautiful. And we don't know if that's because of her looks or there was something going on in her heart. We don't know why mama called her that. But what's interesting to me is the apostles don't name them something else. All we know them as is Ananias and Sapphira. And it says Ananias and Sapphira, they're going to attempt to deceive. You see, Barnabas is used as the expression of, here's God at work in our lives. The Word of God tells us that um, the Lord predicted during his earthly time with his disciples that the Spirit of God would come. We saw that in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, but back in John's Gospel, that's recorded for us. One of the things that the Lord says there in John 17 is he says, he's, he's praying for the disciples and he says, I pray that they would be one, Father, like you and I are one, so that the world might know that you've sent your son. There's a unity, a commonness together so that the world might know something. And whenever God is trying to do something, Satan is also trying to do something, and that's what we find in chapter 5. Chapter 5 starts out and it says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, I believe that these are believers, just so you know. The reason I'm highlighting that to you is because I want us to be aware of the fact that the enemy of our souls can use us at times if we're willing. I'm not saying that he possesses us. I don't believe that at all. I'm just saying that he can insert, that he can, that he can lie, that he can uh, confuse us, that he can get us uh, off what God says and onto his little agenda. He did it all the way from Adam and Eve, and he's still doing it to this very day. Don't be fooled by that. You're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices, the Word of God says. <clears throat> so here we have two believers, and it says that both of them, Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, he didn't do it on his own. They sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Sounds like the same, doesn't it? <clears throat> Isn't this the same as Barnabas? 
sold it. Here, here you, there you go, right? Sounds good. If you don't dig into the word of God a little bit deeper, you, you're probably going to miss this. But there's a couple words that come out here that tell us that everything is not the way that it appears. You see that little phrase, he kept back part. He kept back. It's actually used here and it's used in Titus. And there in Titus, it's talking actually about a, uh, a slave or a servant, like an employee working for somebody and, and stealing from them. And that's the word that's being used here. So in other words, it tells us that the keeping back has within it this idea of selfishness, self-centeredness, looking out for themselves, wanting to make sure that they got what they needed. I find that ironic because the word of God, we've just read that the word tells us that nobody had any lack. You would think they would say, why would I even be tempted by this? Everybody else is giving and everybody who's in need is getting, right? Why in the world would I need to hang on to something for myself when this is happening right in front of me? The self-centered heart doesn't see that. The self-centered heart sees me. Can you identify with that? I can. I often tell people when I'm doing any kind of marriage counseling, people don't be deceived. You are two self-centered individuals now coming together in marital bliss. (laughs) And it won't blissfully last for long. Why? Because you're two selfish individuals trying to live together. That's going to come out. And so it does, right? So it shows up, and God has to begin to do a work. And we see that happening here too. So Peter says to them, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You see, he says, Satan has filled your heart. Ephesians tells us that we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. He's the one who's supposed to have his way with us, not Satan. That's what that filling is talking about. You're letting him have his way. You don't have to, right? He doesn't have control. I must do what he tells. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, Ananias, you made a decision. You decided. It was up to you. James tells us that we are tempted when we're drawn away by our own lust, right? And we give in to that. Self-centeredness, guess what they give in to as well? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit. There's a problem right there. Some versions will use the word deceive. I find this as stupid as stupid can be. And yet I do the very thing myself. In other words, they are trying to portray that we are just like Barnabas. Oh, wow, what an amazing guy. Yeah, we're amazing too. When you think of us as amazing Look it, we've sold all of this and, and we gave it too. Can we get a little attaboy for that? A little something? Trying to portray something that wasn't true. They were trying to deceive. And it's just like Jonah trying to run from the presence of God. You can't deceive him. Everything it says, the scripture says is naked before his eyes. He sees it all. We think somehow if we can deceive ourselves or the people around us, we can deceive God. We're deceived about that, aren't we? You talk about deception. He's filled your heart to lie and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. 
While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, in your own control? The answer to those questions, the way that's written is, yes, yes. When it was yours, when the land before it was sold, you didn't have to sell it, right? You could walk with God and, Lord, what do you want me to do with this land? You want me to plow it? You want me to let it lie fallow? You want me to sell it? What do you want me to do with this, Lord? It's yours anyways. Not, not from a self-centered perspective. It's mine. I get to do with it what I want to do. When you sold it, didn't you, didn't you have the opportunity to, to keep all of it? Or didn't you have the opportunity to, well, you know, I'll give my 10% there. Oh, that's good enough, isn't it? Like, you could have done that. Too. It was all in your control, he says. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. It's God that we have to do with. We've got to understand that. Because if we think it's just men that we have something to do with, then we think we can get away with it, right? How many people are out there having broken the law and thinking they can get away with it? Because they're just thinking that they're deceiving men. And none of them are deceiving God because he knows all things. And that's true for us too, right? We don't want to look outside. We want to look inside. (coughs) And realize, excuse me, (coughs) realize my heart's that way. My heart, let me just tell you, <clears throat> this passage is going to tell us that this guy is going to die as a result of that. When I was a kid, I, <clears throat> I read this, and I was scared to death because I didn't even have possessions, okay? This is how pathetic. I didn't even have anything that I was going to hoard and keep from God. I just wanted things. I wanted stuff, whatever the good stuff was. So I'm sweating it out when I'm reading this because I'm thinking, oh my word, that's me. And I wouldn't want to give it either. So now, how do I figure out how to keep my future stuff without getting killed by God? Woohoo! That's a problem, isn't it? And I'm trying to work this out. I still have that same heart, just so you know. If you come to my house, and I hope that when you come to my house, you'll come in through the family entrance, because we're family. There's a family entrance, and then there's kind of like the main entrance, right? But the family entrance, one of the things you're going to see there is a little plaque, and it's going to say the Sanford Family Ambassador's Residence. And the reason it says that is because of my selfish heart. <clears throat> We've owned a few homes in our life, and I have found that when people come to my home, I'm concerned about how they deal with my home, especially if they have kids that make a mess in my home, right? I'm not for that. That can actually affect my hospitality. And then when I, when I sell my home, oh, the bank needs their little fair share of that, which is too much. And then I got the rest to do something with that. And I decide, hey, this is how I want to use that, right? And I have noticed that, that thinking several times. And as the Lord's begin to chip away at some of that and say, son, you're a self-centered individual. That's what you are. That's my home. I gave you that. And he tells me that I'm an ambassador. I'm residing in a colony called Earth, which is not my home, but I get my tentacles and my roots down deep into it because I'm deceived, because I think this is it, and this is valuable to me. And so that sign is a reminder, you are entering into the ambassador's residence. I get to live 
in my father's house. He provides it for me. But if I start thinking the way I naturally think, I start clutching. I start hanging on because I want my stuff, right? And that's what we're seeing here again with these people. The same kind of a heart. You see, Satan loves again to mar, to disrupt, to, to impact the things that God's doing. But God is so amazing that he can actually take that and bring about more glory for himself. He's incredible in this. Verse 7, I skipped the last part there of where he dies. Okay, so now verse 7, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. You see, because guys and men and a husband's wife, we don't talk a whole lot together, do we, right? A little sarcasm there. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she, she said, yes, for so much. Ha <laughs> ha, now we know. Now we're not guessing. Oh, you guys colluded together. You guys decided together. This is what we're going to do, right? She was as much a part of it as he was. And Peter said to her, how is it then you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out too. And she dies as well. She fell down at his, breathe her last. Young men come in, find her dead, carry her out and bury her by her husband. Same kind of thing. Now when I skip those verses, I forgot to tell you that when he died, it says great fear came upon them all. Something happened. Well, that also happens after uh, Sapphira as well. Verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. In the previous several times when it says great fear, it actually happens a, a couple times here in the book of Acts. It's saying it in a broad perspective, great fear came upon them all. Now it says upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. There was a witness that was happening. There was an impact that was happening. God was using all of these circumstances, all these situations. He was showing something about himself. And they were witnessing to that. <clears throat> I have had the privilege of hanging out with some of you. And uh, you've probably maybe seen some of that selfishness in my own life. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> hey, this comes up right here, Housers. I got invited yesterday to help go clean some of the Johnny Blues. Guess what I said twice? No, thanks. <laughs> Actually, I really wanted them to have the experience of that, to gain just some humility. And I knew if I got in there, they would just step back and I would take over. So I just decided that that's just selfishness. Are you kidding me? I don't want to go through the Johnny Blues. I've got other important things to do, right? But you know what else I've also seen? I've seen people loan out their truck and trailer, even to the point of getting a little dent in it, right? I've seen people invite other people into their home just to be hospitable, some even to spend the night there, even multiple nights. I've seen people bake thousands of cookies <clears throat> only to give them away. And from every good cookie eater like myself, that's nuts. Right? I'll tell you, the worst is at the parade. I saw people give away Chick-fil-A gift cards. 
that's nuts if there's not ever been a nuts in this world. When they, when they gave me the little stack to give out, they saw the glint in my eye because that went in my pocket. I don't know if there was 25 or what it was. And they took them back. And they said, you go be security. We don't want anybody coming in here. And they saw that glint like, eh, right? So what's going on here. I see people passing them out. Why? Because we're being a witness. We're explaining something either by our words or by our actions. We're telling people that we know a God and he has us. He owns us, and not just us, but he owns everything that we've got. It belongs to him. And we want to use what he has provided for us as good stewards of that. And if it's a Chick-fil-A card, here you go, right? And we can do that actually with cheerfulness, cheerful giving. I think there's a verse on that somewhere. <clears throat> so great fear comes upon all the church. This word fear shows up in several places in Scripture. And uh, this particular word can be used in two different contexts. The first one is what I'll call a negative context where it brings about dread. Where it causes us to shrink away from God. That's Ananias and Sapphira, right? They're, they're seeing uh, 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 something here happening. They're seeing accolades, praise. They want some of that too. But guess what? They shrink away from God. They don't run towards him. They run away from him in their actions. They want to deceive. That's a fear. That's a negative thing. And the scripture speaks against that. There's also a positive one. And that is what we call reverential fear. That's a recognition of a, of a worshipful awe of God. And it captivates our hearts. And it draws us to him. It's what causes us then, that thinking, that value causes us to say, okay, Lord, here's my life, and here's everything I got, and it's yours. You can do with it what you want. Why? Because I have a reverential understanding of him, a, a healthy fear of him. What went through your mind when you read that about Ananias and Sapphira? Were you like me? Were like, oh, my word, what am I going to do now? You see, because my fear was more about losing what I still didn't even have at the time. Instead of my fear being, oh God, you are amazing. How do, I, how do I serve? How do I live? How do I function? How do I think in regards to you? A whole different way, right? A whole different way. He invites us into that. In 1 John 4, 18, it says this. There is no fear in love. Same word, by the way, just so you know. Same Greek word. No fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. He's talking about that negative aspect of it. That shrinking away from God. It casts that out because fear involves torment, right? It, it's, it's a negative impact on us. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So if that's your perspective of God, what does that tell you? You need to grow in love. You, you need to learn more about him because as you do, you're, you're going to find your heart drawn to him, wooed to him, attracted to him. He's going to change this, this negative fear to a positive, reverential, oh God, yes, here it is. He impacts us. How do we know this? 
because we have a guy named Barnabas who lives as an example of that. He sees us. Let's finish our, our chapter here. We only got a few minutes left here. I'll keep moving. Chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities around Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. There again is just the expression of that. These are the things that, that the apostles, that the believers together in this early church are asking God for, and look what he's doing. How amazing is this? Why? Because they're willing to talk, and they're willing to live. And those are powerful witnesses to an almighty God. Well, let's look at Barnabas. We've just got a couple minutes here. Barnabas shows us that we have a choice in the matter. We have a choice in this. Barnabas is not just brought in because, hey, here's an example. I'll pick him, that little Jose guy that we now call Barnabas. No, there's something about his heart. The reason why his name was changed to son of encouragement is because God had been already doing a work in his heart. Guess what happens with this guy? He shows up on the scene in chapter 9. There's a guy named Paul. By the way, his name was Saul, and he got a name changed too, right? Something happened there in his life. But everybody's scared to death of this guy because as Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. Nobody wants to be around him except for Barnabas. <clears throat> Barnabas comes and engages with him and goes, hey, I'll introduce you. Come on with me. I'll vouch for you. Let's go talk to the guys. I want to introduce you to a guy used to name Saul, who's now called Paul, right? And joins him together. <clears throat> I think it's in chapter 11, the apostles back in Jerusalem, they hear in this town of Antioch that there's believers there, and guess who they send to go scope that out for us? Hey, Barnabas. We want you to go. Why did they pick him? Because he's the son of encouragement. We hear that there's believers over there, and we want that to happen, so you're the guy. Let's go. And he gets there, and he sees that they're believers, and he begins to encourage them. And then it tells us that he goes over to Tarsus, and he finds this dude named Paul again, and he brings him back. And for a year, the two of them teach these guys in Antioch. You talk about just like, oh, no surprise here, right? It's part of his character. It's part of what God's doing in his life. By the time we get to chapter 13, we're going to find out that the Lord says, uh, in, a, in your group there, there's a guy named Paul, and there's a guy named Barnabas, and there's a couple other guys, but I want those two guys. I want them to go. Send them out. And they start off on their first missionary journey, and guess where they go? One of the places that they stop there's a little island named Cyprus, which is the exact home where Barnabas came from. Isn't God incredible? I know how to do this. I'll pick you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to use you in there. Go home. Let's go talk to him. He didn't stay there, by the way. He, just, he kept on going. But God just, like, we're going to pass right through this area here. 
Incredible. And little by little, this guy, you'll, if you're, as we read through, we're going to find that it would say Barnabas and Paul, and then pretty soon it's saying Paul and Barnabas. It flips. And then pretty soon Barnabas drifts off of the pages. God's using him. It's not all peaches and cream, though. In Galatians, this guy is with Paul when Peter comes, and they're all having fellowship as Jews with Gentiles, and they all think it's okay, which it is, until Peter is getting a little afraid, and he bails on that one. And the Scripture tells us in Galatians that even Barnabas was fooled by that. He even pulled back. I say that to you because I want you to know we're not talking perfection here. We're just talking somebody who's willing to be used by God, who has a reverential fear of God and says, here's my life and here's my possessions. You may use them at your pleasure. I set them at your feet. But we don't always do it perfectly. I say he's a classic example of a disciple. Somebody who's trusting God. Because choices matter. We have to make a choice. We have to decide. God, here's my life. Or no, I'm going to keep it for myself. Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives because they were self-centered and wanted to hang on. Barnabas lost his life because he was God-centered and was willing to live life with an open hand. And he didn't lose his life, he gained his life, is what the Scripture tells us. These two individuals wanted to portray, we are walking in the Spirit, we are under the Spirit's control, but it gave it away when it's like, hey, I want some recognition. There's my name on the back, right? This is who I am. (laughs) Not a Barnabas. Gets a name change, son of encouragement. And he just continues on in that. And we see as we go down that historical record. The same God who was at work there is the same God who is at work today. And he desires to use us in the same way. We're halfway through our follow the star. Tonight, we get another opportunity. It's just one of, one of 365 days worth of opportunity in this community to share Christ. He said, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. We're going to read through this book of Acts and we're going to see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and as they begin into the ends of the earth. But you and I are there. We're in a little town called Winchester, which doesn't fit into Jerusalem, Judea, or Samaria. Right? We fit into the ends of the earth. We get the opportunity today to be the witnesses that those guys were in their generation and in their time and in their location. And we get the opportunity to pray and ask God, would you give us boldness that we might speak of you? And we get the opportunity today to be one together so that all the world might know that God has sent his son. What a privilege that is for us, right? I'm over time. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing to us to allow us to have a part in your great plan 
Sometimes when we think about that, Father, we scratch our heads wondering, why would you ever do that? There were 5,000 people, and it says they had all things in common. And we're barely over 1,000. And sometimes we can't agree on a little committee that we work on. And so we scratch our heads at times wondering, are are you sure? You, You really want us in this? Then, in humility, we recognize, oh, the grace of God to allow us to play a part in what you're doing. Father, encourage us to be sons of encouragement, to look for those opportunities where you might use us. We're not expecting perfection. You know that better than us, Lord. We'd be delighted, though, if you'd impact other lives with us. Use us tonight, different ones having an opportunity to just portray an event, be an actor, others who have an opportunity to graciously move people from one location to another, others who can share the gospel, others who just pass out cookies, and others who clean toilets. Thank you so much for each one and the part that they're playing in that. We pray that you will use that in an effective way to win hearts for yourself so that all the world might know that you sent your son so many years ago as a little babe in a manger only to go to Calvary and pay the full penalty for our sins so that we might be free. We thank you so much for that salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.